If you'll open your Bibles to James chapter 1, James chapter 1, maybe you have a Bible app on your mobile device, your phone, uh, join me in James 1. We're going to look at two verses today, and these are, I think, really important and critical verses in the book of James. This last week, uh, we witnessed the inauguration of President Biden. You know, when big events like that happen, it's always interesting what the news media focuses on and then what gets picked up in social media. But uh, there was something that maybe you've seen on your social media, on Facebook and Instagram and stuff. Uh, Senator Bernie Sanders of Vermont uh, was photographed and seen on the steps of the Capitol during the inauguration. And the, president for, the former presidential candidate and senator from Vermont was wearing almost looks like a parka and mittens. Looked more like he'd come out of the woods from... Uh, out of the woods in Vermont because all the other men were wearing, you know, long uh, overcoats and dressed overcoats. And so it kind of stood out to people and even the way he was seated. And so this shot became kind of iconic. And then some people started to play around a little bit with, uh, with the uh, photo- photoshopping of this. And they photoshopped in a drum set around him. They did other things around him. But then some said, well, let's move him out of that spot and so they put him on the street of a city as a vendor sitting next to a vending cart. They put him in the teacups at Disneyland. They thought that wasn't exciting enough, so they put him on a thrill ride uh, where he's having an adventure. Then they thought, you know, we could even do this with iconic television and movie images. And so uh, someone photoshopped him into the opening sequence of the Beverly Hillbillies, and he's there on the back of the truck. And then... Uh, Maybe you didn't notice this when you watched Forrest Gump, but he was there on the bench all along with Forrest. And uh, and then someone thought, well, let's even bring it up to uh, now. And so they replaced Baby Yoda with uh, Bernie Sanders on The Mandalorian. Then some got really creative and said, but, you know, let's put him in some historic settings. They put him in a painting of the signers of the Declaration of Independence sitting right in the front row there. Then they put him in that iconic picture of the Industrial Revolution where workers are having lunch, stories high above the ground on the beam, and he's just there on the right-hand side of the picture on the beam. And, you know, they couldn't not put him, you know, on the moon, walking on the moon in his... People had a lot of fun. Meanwhile, here at Calvary, we didn't notice back in December, but we, we had someone share this image with us uh, of our Christmas tree out on the patio... And then some of you screen captured, some of you who have joined us online, you screen captured, we didn't notice this here in the room, if you joined us in worship in the room, but that while I was teaching last week, uh, Senator Sanders was right there on the platform. <laughs> My favorite of all of these is, is Senator Sanders sitting outside a store with a card table uh, selling Girl Scout cookies. <laughs> now, I, I saw someone tweet that It's great that our country could be united, and who knew it would be Bernie Sanders who would unite us with some laughter, right? Uh, A lot of creative people in our world. There has been a lot of division and strife, a lot of noise, a lot of hype, a lot of voices calling for our attention over the course of the last several months, a lot of division and difficulty, and even at times some uncertainty. And I thought, you know, with the inauguration, maybe there would be a little pause to the noise after all, it's four years till another presidential election, but I began to get the emails and began to hear people and began to hear on the media people saying, 2024 is the most important presidential election of our lifetimes. The most important, and I know there are important things coming, 
with that election, just as there were important things in this last election. But I don't know about you, but I've gotten a little weary and worn with some of the hype, some of the noise. And it's not just in the political world. We get emails and there, there are people crying for attention in terms of advertising and the media. And, and there's just a lot of noise in our world. As we look at James chapter 1, verses 26 and 27, I want us to together today to talk about getting beyond the hype and getting back to him. Getting beyond the hype and getting back to him. Now, I have to tell you, I sometimes get caught up in the hype when, when, when there, there are people just excited about different things in our culture, what we need or what needs to happen. And it can be something that wears us out. And I think James does a great job of, attend, uh, of focusing the attention of those reading the letter here that he writes to the church. He helps them understand that they can get beyond the hype. Look at James chapter 1, verses 26 and 27. Verse 26 says, Those who consider themselves religious and yet do not keep a tight rein on their tongues deceive themselves and their religion is worthless. Notice they use, he uses the word religious and religion there. Then in verse 27, religion, third time he uses either the adjective or the noun in these two verses, religion that God our Father accepts as pure and faultless, genuine and real, is this, to look after orphans and widows in their distress and to keep oneself from being polluted by the world. Now James was the first pastor of the very first church, the church in Jerusalem. He's the half-brother of Jesus. They shared the same mother, Mary. James' earthly father, of course, was Joseph. Jesus' father was God the Father. James shepherded that church that was made up of folks who had a Jewish background. They're Messianic believers. And he was a part of a lot of the things that went on in the early church. We don't understand the important role that he had. Persecution came early on the church at Jerusalem, and a number of the believers were scattered in fleeing the persecution to other parts and pockets of the Roman Empire. And while they were in these pockets and parts of the Roman Empire, there were all kinds of voices that came to them with, with a lot of hype saying, if you're really zealous, if you're really committed to God, if you're truly a devout Christian, then this will be true in your life. This will be important to you. James, as their pastor, is burdened that they have been scattered. He's burdened that there are all these voices grabbing for their, their attention and that many of them are getting distracted from the gospel and from making disciples. This word religion is interesting as it's used here, religious and then religion, both the adjective and noun forms, three times in these two verses. The word means to be devout, to be committed, to be zealous toward God. Now, it's interesting, the New Testament doesn't use this word very often. Matter of fact, there's a total of five times, three of them in these two verses. Because you see, biblical Christianity is not a religion. A lot of people think that Christianity is a religion about God focused on Jesus Christ. It's not. Biblical Christianity is about a relationship with God through Jesus Christ. And so it's rare that the New Testament writers would use this word, but the scattered sheep are hearing the hype from philosophical voices calling those who are followers of Christ to behave this way and do this, from legalistic voices of their background calling them to do this. And the shepherd of these scattered sheep, his heart is heavy, and he's not only speaking to the broader church, but he's speaking to them from the 12 tribes that are scattered around. 
Boy, we've been scattered, haven't we, over the last several months? Our body has been scattered, been joining online. Thank you to those of you who are joining us online. You're a part of what's going on here. And we're, we're grateful you're leaning in. We're scattered in this room as we social distance to keep everybody safe. And my heart is a shepherd. Our pastors, our elders have been burdened for the sheep that have been scattered. We want to make sure you understand that as the hype builds, and it'll build more and more as we approach the 2024 election, as the hype from all kinds of voices and good causes and well-intentioned people try to get our attention, we've got to be very careful as a church. And we want you to know that we here at Calvary are going to stay focused on the gospel of Jesus Christ, that message, and the mission and mandate Jesus left us to make disciples who are followers of Jesus Christ. Satan uses the hype of well-intentioned movements and their convincing leaders to hijack the gospel message and distract the church from its mission. There are a lot of great causes out there. There are causes that Leslie and I are a part of. There are movements that are really good and important to the broader sense of our culture and our world. But some of those causes and movements sometimes want to draw the attention of the church away and get us into their cause because it overlaps at times with the cause of Christ. Leslie and I have to be guarded not to allow that and our expectation of the church. And over the years, I've been in ministry 25 plus years as a pastor, and there have been different movements and books that come out and methods that come out. People say, if, if the church is gonna be the real church today, you gotta do this, you gotta do that, you gotta do this. Now we change and we adapt to culture, but everybody's always sharing this brass ring you got to grab, and that's the secret. And I, at times, have bought into some of the hype and begin to move in this direction, and the Holy Spirit just says to me, hey, what are you doing? Your message is getting clouded. Your mission is getting distracted. As a pastor, you're to be leading a flock of people whose primary and full focus is on sharing the good news of Jesus Christ and making disciples. You know, we have in the last year heard really loud political voices. The political voice on the right is trying to get us to pay attention in America to biblical personal morality. The voices in the left are trying to get us to pay attention to, to biblical social justice issues and equality and dignity of people. Uh, on the right, the, the biggest issue that comes to the forefront, of course, is abortion and how God values the sanctity of life from conception on. On the left, the issue has to do with systemic injustice and systemic racial injustice. And let me tell you, God is concerned about both of those things. But the one side, we can get pulled in the direction from the, the secular moralists who, who want us to believe that this needs to be the mission of the church, to legislate biblical, Bible-based personal morality without transformed lives. The other side and, and, and those secular warriors of social justice, they, they want us to believe that the church has to be all about legislating Bible-based social justice without changed hearts. And if the church gets distracted in any of those directions, even though those things are near and dear to God's heart, we miss the way God wants to bring down industries of abortion and systems of injustice. 
I think James wants his folks to get back to the very basics. When we deal with the well-intentioned movements and good causes that, like I said, Leslie and I may be a part of this cause or that cause or we support this effort, but when those things try to say they need to have the attention of the church and the message of the church and the mission of the church, we buy into some myth that well-intentioned movements feed us. Five myths found in the hype of well-intentioned movements. The first one is this. We need positions of power to advance God's values. Jesus never had a position of power, but he sure did advance God's values. Secondly, if we lose our rights, we won't be able to be the church. Let me tell you, I believe that the second best document ever written was the Constitution of the United States. It was so written that its founders, even if they couldn't see their own flaws, put into it the principles by which issues they didn't see about themselves could be resolved in the future. That's a wonderful thing. The Bible, of course, is the first and primary document given to us by God. It changes lives. But I appreciate the rights we have outlined in the Constitution. I stand here and speak to you with complete freedom because of those rights. I don't want to see those rights go away. I'm proud to be an American. I appreciate those rights. But Jesus did say, if they hate me, they're going to hate you. He did say that we might suffer persecution even when we don't think we deserve it. And I've heard voices say, if we lose our rights, then we can't be the church. Oh, tell that to our brothers and sisters in Iran where the gospel is flourishing and disciples are being made and it's illegal and you can be imprisoned for being a Christian. Some of the strongest, most vibrant believers I have met are people who are part of the Iranian church. Tell that to our brothers and sisters in Christ in China where that church has been growing for decades under the oppression of the Chinese government. I don't want to see persecution in the church. I don't want to see us lose our rights. But I'll tell you what, if our rights slip in this country, the church will be the church and we will keep giving out the good news and keep making disciples of Jesus Christ. It'll be difficult. It'll be hard. But it's a myth to say if we lose our rights, we won't be able to be the church. Thirdly, what we achieve matters more than how we achieve it. That's a myth. Our methods do matter. Our character does matter. The ends don't justify the means. That's not the way of Jesus. The fourth myth is influencing the world today is different than it was in Jesus' day. People will say, well, that was the Roman Empire under Caesar. This is a democracy, and it's different. I understand it's different. But Jesus left the disciples with the message to share and the mission of making disciples who live in love like Jesus. It was to be a life on life, sharing and influence, life on life. And when one life changes another life, and that life changes a family, and that family changes a neighborhood, and that neighborhood changes a community, and that community changes a state, and that state changes a nation, guess what happens to the world? Influencing the world today is the same way Jesus influenced his world and sent his disciples out to turn the world upside down. The fifth myth of well-intentioned movements and good causes as they speak to the church is if the church doesn't join our efforts now, we will lose America forever. You hear it from the right and the left. 
You hear it from not just political, but you hear from, I've had pressures on me over the years from uh, psychological movements and educational movements that say, you gotta be on board with this, and it dilutes the message and it distracts us from our mission. This fifth myth, uh, to me, it's, it's like I, I, I worked at a camp, and while I wasn't a lifeguard, they taught us some basic things about if a, if a child is drowning in, in the pool, you, you don't, in your good intentions, just jump in and, and try to save them because they can pull you down. Good intentions aren't enough. we got to do it the right way. And I believe the word of God has given us in the marching orders of Christ to the church and how we spread out in this world and live in love like Jesus are very clear. As the church, we cannot settle for the good things of well-intentioned movements over the great things of God's gospel-centered, disciple-making mission for the church. As your pastor, I speak for our elders and the other pastors on our team. We're gonna do what Christ has called us to do, and we're not gonna let the hype of other well-intended good voices and even great Christian leaders distract us from what Jesus has left us to do. James talks about this this devotion and this religiosity and, and he's addressing the hype that his sheep that are scattered are hearing. And I think there are some core things he says we need to be about if we're gonna live like Jesus, if we're gonna live like Christ, if we're gonna live like that in this world. I think we learned from James a couple of things about what needs to be true of us at Calvary Community Church as the followers of Christ. Number one, God calls us to be a church that cares far more about demonstrating self-control than acquiring positions of power. Jesus was more about controlling himself and the self-discipline, even when they tried to trap him or trick him, than trying to gain some position of power to dominate others. Look at what James says in verse 26. If you claim to be religious, zealous, devout for God, but don't control your tongue, you're fooling yourself and your religion is worthless. A lot of Christians look at this and scoff. You know, boy, that's just such a... He's talking about self-control. James uses the tongue three times in this book as an indication of our spiritual temper. Temperature, excuse me as a way to look at our lives and see if we are submitted to the spirit of God's control, if we're walking in obedience to Christ. Now, he says tongue, and it's a culture that 98% of its communication was oral. Today, we might say tongue and fingers as we type out emails and post online. It's how we communicate. There's a longer passage about uh, the power of our words and the danger of the tongue not being controlled in James chapter 3. And in a couple of weeks, I'll be away for the weekend, and, and Pastor Brian's going to handle that passage. I'll let him go deeper into this. But what James is saying here is that we need to demonstrate some self-control, some discipline. As we submit to the Holy Spirit, uh, Galatians 5 says that one of the fruit that come out in our lives as evidence that the Spirit of God has control of us is we have self-discipline and self-control. We don't just spout off anything. The test of whether we have self-control is what we say and how we say it. How are you doing with that? With your family, with your friends, with the language you use? Why is this important? Because when we have self-discipline, as we submit to the Spirit of God, what emerges from us is the humility of Christ, a submissive, humble spirit that Michelle just sang about. And then when the world around us looks at us we're known for how we discipline ourselves instead of how we dominate others. 
Boy, does our world need to see some people who have influence that are humble. God calls us to be a church that cares far more about demonstrating self-control than acquiring positions of power. Secondly, God calls us to be a church that cares far more about meeting others' needs than asserting our own rights. I mentioned to you that I value my rights. I don't want to see our rights as found in the Constitution lost. But then when I look at the example of Jesus, God the Son saw me, saw you in your need, and how we could not save ourselves. We needed a Redeemer. So he set aside his divine privileges and rights. They were inherent with him. They weren't just God-given rights. And came to meet our needs. Look at Philippians 2, uh, 5 through 8. Verse 5 says, you must have the same attitude that Christ Jesus had. Okay, we should have that attitude in this world as we live like Jesus. What is that? Though he was God, he did not think of equality with God as something to cling to. Instead, he gave up his divine privileges or rights. He took the humble position of a slave and was born as a human being. When he appeared in human form, he humbled himself in obedience to God and died a criminal's death on a cross. Look at what Jesus did. Now read what James says to us. He not only talks about the self-control that needs to be evident in us or or else we're fooling ourselves and our, our supposed passion for God is empty and worthless. He says in verse 27, pure and genuine religion, authentic, real passion and and zealousness for God. He says, don't listen to all the hype. Here's what it is. In the sight of God the Father, as God sees it, what is going to be an evidence of being zealous as Christians for our God? means caring for orphans and widows in their distress. I I like the phrase caring for, caring for. Some of your translations might say visiting orphans and widows in their distress. It has the idea of intentionally going to them and engaging them, caring for them, meeting them in their need. Now, widows were some of the people who suffered from systemic injustice the most in the ancient world. The word widow in our day means someone who has lost their husband. In the ancient world, it meant a manless woman. Her father dies and she's not married. She's a widow. Her husband deserts her or divorces her. She's a widow. If her husband dies, she's a widow. The man gave her status. And without a man, she had no status. And the the cards were stacked against her in the system of justice. She could be mistreated and abused and overlooked. It was allowed in the ancient world. Women have come a far away, and I'm sure there's a lot more that needs to be done in our world to treat women correctly and biblically as Jesus treated them. Whether you agree with her uh, political positions or not, I think it's pretty incredible that exactly 100 years after women are given the right to vote in the United States, a woman is elected to be vice president of the United States and a woman of color at that. Again, whatever your political position, there's something wonderful about that when you understand the historic way in which women have been treated. And so a widow in the ancient world had no value, had no status, because she had no man who would give her that status. An orphan was not someone who had both parents dead. An orphan was someone who was fatherless. Their father had died, deserted them, or disappeared, was out of their lives. 
You say, well, at least that orphan would have their mother if she was still alive. Remember, she's in the same situation. An orphan is a manless child. A widow is a manless woman. So you can see that what James is saying, he's drawing their attention to, is that those who are the the least among us, those who have the least amount of power, those who have nothing, who suffer from, from poverty, and they're not allowed to escape it in any way, those are the ones that ought to have the attention of the followers of Jesus Christ. So much so that the followers of Jesus Christ spend more time caring for the poor and powerless than claiming their own rights. Why? Because that's what Jesus did. And if we're going to live in love like Jesus, we want to live like that, we've got to have this emphasis. And James is saying to, to the scattered sheep, you're here in the height that this is how you're religious. This is how you're devoted. Let me tell you, control your tongue, show some self-discipline, and then care for the poor and the powerless. The test of whether we're doing this is how we engage the poor and powerless. Isaiah 117 says, learn to do right, seek justice, defend the oppressed, take up the cause of the fatherless, plead the case of the widow. Psalm 82.3 says, defend the cause of the weak and the fatherless, maintain the rights of the poor and the oppressed. You know, in Matthew chapter 25, Jesus paints this picture of the great judgment of the nations and of the people. And there are the sheep and the goats. And he says to the sheep, they are my followers. And the way they live demonstrates that. Then there are these who are not my followers who rejected me. And their behavior reflects that. And he describes himself on a throne one day judging. And he looks to those who are his followers and he says, enter into my eternal rest. When I was naked, you clothed me. When I was hungry, you fed me. When I had no place to stay, you gave me a place to stay. When I was in prison, you visited me. And their response is, Lord, we did that for a lot of people, but we never saw you in the mix. And he says, when you did it for one of the least of these, you did it for me, enter into my eternal joy and rest. Then he turns to those who are not his followers and it's been evidenced in their lives. And he says, here is your reward, eternal judgment and damnation. And he says, when I was hungry, you didn't feed me. When I was naked, you didn't clothe me. When I was without a place to stay, you didn't give me a place to stay. When I was in prison, you didn't visit me. And they say, we, we didn't feed a lot of people. We, we, we didn't take care of a lot of people. There were a lot of people overlooked, but if we had noticed you, we would have done that. When did we overlook you? And he says, when you didn't do that for the least of these, you didn't do it for me. Enter into judgment. Jesus wants us to understand the high priority he has for the poor and the powerless. And if we truly live in love like Jesus, there's going to be a value that we're willing to sacrifice our own rights and privileges for those who have none, who are overlooked and marginalized. How we engage the poor and powerless is the test. The result is Christ-like compassion. The compassion of Christ comes out in us. We're known for what we give up for others instead of how we look out for ourselves. How much do you give up for others versus how much do you look out for yourself? This weekend was supposed to be our child sponsorship weekend. We would have had our eight partners with booths in the lobby and there are about 700 children sponsored through those partnerships from from Calvary. 
Some of you sponsor children with compassion and, and with World Vision outside of some of our partnerships. That's wonderful because those ministries that would have been here this weekend, and we'll do that later in the year, but, but those that would have been here, they, they represent the poor and the powerless. It's one way we can engage. Let me tell you just about what's been happening with a couple of those areas where some of you sponsor kids, Honduras, where some of you sponsor kids so they can get a good education. They were hit hard by COVID. They were hit by a couple of hurricanes. It's been difficult, but we have partnered with our sister on the ground there, Gloria Del Cid, and we've got food to some of the hungry people. We've tried to help as best we can. People were asking for Bibles, so we got our Bibles to share the hope of Jesus with others. And those of you who sponsor kids in Honduras, you're making a difference among the poor and the powerless. Our, some of you sponsor some kids in Russia, some orphans in Russia, and, and we just got an update from one of our pastor partners there, uh, Slava, who shared with us a photo, and in the middle of this photo that you see are two orphans who grew up and were sponsored who have come to Jesus and come to love each other and are now married by Slava. How beautiful is that? Thank you for caring for the poor and the powerless. In Ukraine... We have ministries in some of the gypsy camps. The gypsies are some of the most forgotten and oppressed people of all of Europe. They're marginalized. They are poor and powerless. The children are, are even, even more at the bottom of the barrel. And we have programs there with partners on the ground to feed those kids and to give them opportunities through programming to, to grow and learn to get some education. Some of you sponsor kids in Ukraine. You're helping the poor and the powerless. A number of the pastors there have had COVID. One of our pastor partners died last fall. But others have stepped up and people continue to feed those children because of your engaging with the poor and the powerless if you sponsor kids in Ukraine. I could go on with all eight areas. Some people say to me, well, I know we're supposed to be engaged with the poor and the powerless, but they just don't come up in my regular path. That's why it says we're to go visit them, find them, engage them. Here's one way you can through child sponsorship. Then closer to home, some of you are engaged in our fresh market ministry, our food pantry ministry, uh, our angel threads where we get clothes to people in need. In the last year, one of those families that we've been able to help, and you who volunteer there and serve there may know this name, Noemi is a grandmother who's raising five children, five grandchildren. Her husband died last year, now she's doing it all alone. And through our local outreach ministries and your efforts and your giving and your prayers, we're able to walk with them, minister to them, and help them through such a difficult season in life. People say to me, well, what do we want to be known for in the next four years? And right, what do we want to be known for the week before the election in 2024? We want to be known for people who are living like Jesus and we're engaging in the lives of the poor and the powerless. You say, well, how can, I, how can I do that? Do I have to join? Some of these programs are hard to join right now. And you say, but I want to help. You can join our REACH group. You can go to calvarywestlake.org slash REACH. And you, you sign up with your email and then you get an email of needs that are popping up in our community, whether in our church family, because sometimes people aren't chronically in a poor and powerless position, but they go through a season of that in life. They're lonely, they have needs, whatever it is. And through our REACH group, we post opportunities to help someone. And, and you might say, I could do that tomorrow. I could take that time. I, I might have to cancel this, but I could do that. 
You sign up for that, and that's how a lot of people know about different opportunities to engage through our local outreach. You can work in with our, our care ministry, our seasoned adult ministries, our local outreach, our global missions partners. But the REACH group is a great way to step into this area of caring for the poor and the powerless. James is saying to those hearing the hype, he's saying, let's get back to the basics and be like Jesus. Let's demonstrate self-control rather than acquire positions of power. Let's meet others' needs rather than asserting our own rights. Thirdly, he says, we need to be a church that cares more about maintaining personal purity than cultivating a public image. A lot of people in good causes, even Christian causes, get so caught up in the image they have to maintain that they're creating a public image that they look like this. They, they don't look greedy. They don't look lustful. They don't look arrogant. And what James says is we've got to be very careful as the followers of Christ not to let little things begin to stack up in our lives. He says in verse 27, the first part again, pure and genuine religion in the sight of God, the Father means that he's already said caring for the orphans and the widows, the poor and the powerless. Then he says, and refusing to let the world corrupt you. That means you are intentional about looking for those areas where, where perhaps greed and pride and lust has crept into your life. You confess it, you deal with it, you get accountable about it, you move on from it. But what happens sometimes in good causes and good movements and even in the church is that leaders try to project this public image and they don't pay attention to the contaminants. And I love this word for corrupt here. It has the idea of little tiny things that just sort of get in there. They're not noticeable. Maybe others don't see them, but they're wearing away at your life. The test then is how we live when no one else is looking. That's the test of whether we're pursuing personal purity Christ demonstrated personal purity. There was never any credibility issues with his life and how he lived and how he loved. And we as the followers of Christ, as we grow in Christ day by day, need to reflect the purity of Christ. Here's the result. We then develop in our lives Christ-like integrity. When the world looks at us, we're known for our credibility instead of our hypocrisy. The church doesn't need any other hypocritical examples for Satan to point the world at and say, look, they're just the same as you. There's no difference. In the last couple of years, we've seen Christian leaders in churches and uh, educational settings and, and in parachurch ministries who projected a great image fall because of their hypocrisy. Names like Bill Hybels and James McDonald and Jerry Falwell Jr. and Rabbi Zacharias and Carl Lentz. It's sad because it confuses the world as to the message and the mission of the church. Underlying all three of these things, the self-control, the caring for the needs of the poor and the powerless, maintaining personal purity and not just worrying about our image, Underlying all of that, and throughout the book of James, James has an emphasis on how real Christianity works and how it follows Jesus. You see, following our Savior is something we need to care about more than saving our nation. Following our Savior needs to be the deepest passion of the followers of Christ, of this local church, of Calvary Community Church, than saving our nation. Jesus, as he sent his disciples out, according to Mark 16, 15, before he ascended the Father, sent them out to change the world. He said, go into all the world and preach the good news to everyone. 
What's the good news? Since Adam and Eve, we're all sinners and can never measure up to God. We can never clean ourselves up enough, be good enough to be forgiven and have a relationship with God. But Jesus set aside his divine rights and privileges and came, went to the cross, was buried, conquered the grave for us. So we put our faith in him by the grace of God and the grace of God alone. We are forgiven and given a relationship with God. Many in this room know you've come to that place, you put your faith in Jesus, but if you don't know that you've done that, that's the good news Jesus wants you to get a hold of. That's the message of the church of Jesus Christ. That's the message of Calvary Community Church. Put your faith in Jesus. If today's the day you do that or you've done that recently and you wanna share with us that, we'd love to celebrate with you. Just text the name Jesus to the number below me on the screen. And if you're here in the room, uh, you can come down front and a care team member will meet you and just pray with you. If you're joining us online, you could text that number, the name Jesus to that number now. Jesus said, we gotta go into all the world. He said to those 12, go, take the good news to everyone. Matthew records it this way, what the, some of the final words of Jesus in Matthew 28, 19 and 20. Go and make disciples, make followers of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son of the Holy Spirit. They'll identify publicly as my followers like some will do in our services next weekend. And then teach them to obey everything I commanded you. Teach them to walk in obedience. We're to be on mission of making disciples who live and love like Jesus, who then will share the hope and love of Jesus with others as they live and love like Jesus more and more. But we don't do this on our own. He's gonna give us the power and he's told us how this will be infectious and spread. Luke records some of the final words of Jesus in Acts 1.8. You'll receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria to the ends of the earth. This is a God thing. This is not a, a clever organization of men or of people. When we know Christ, we go out as his witnesses to live in love like Jesus, sharing the hope and the words of the good news of the gospel through the power of the Holy Spirit. And what happens is it changes our Jerusalem, then it changes the region, then it changes the state, then it changes the country, then it changes the nation or changes the world. So what's the test of whether we're following our Savior? And that's our focus more than saving our nation. The test is how much we focus on the gospel and making disciples. And again, from our leadership, we're gonna focus on sharing the gospel and making disciples. There are a lot of other good things. There are things that overlap with us, but we're not gonna let those things hijack our message or distract us from our mission. What's the result? We'll have a Christ-like influence. Can you imagine if the, the body of Christ had Christ-like humility, Christ-like compassion, Christ-like integrity, Christ-like influence one-on-one, -on -one, what that would do to our world? When we have that kind of Christ-like influence, the world will know us, we'll be known for living and loving like Jesus instead of living and loving like everyone else. There'll be something different about us. There'll be humility, there'll be compassion, there'll be integrity. And we'll have an influence that will change much more than our nation. If the church obsesses with saving our nation, we will lose it. If the church focuses on the message and mission Christ gave us, we will see God save many nations, including our nation. Some people will say to me, well, 
I, you know, I, I, I've got some questions, maybe even objections, three prominent objections I hear when I say to people, hey, I like what you're doing, that's a good cause, but we're focused on sharing the good news of Jesus and making this, I hear what you're saying, I know what you're saying, and it comes, not just in the political world, it comes from the educational world, the psychological world, the philanthropic world, it comes from all kinds of places, the pressure's on the church. And as a shepherd, like James was with his scattered sheep, my responsibility and our responsibility as elders and pastors here is to keep the church focused on what Jesus left us to be focused on. One objection I hear is this will take too long. Our nation's slipping away. We're, 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 we're seeing more injustice. This will take too long. This is the fastest, deepest, and most sustained way to transform any nation. It's the way of Jesus. Some will say, there aren't enough of us. Sean, you're just talking to a room of people and maybe some, a couple thousand people joining us online, but you know, a few thousand people, there are, there are probably 10 to 15,000 people who claim Calvary as a church in our community, and we say, you know, really, can 10 to 15,000 people make a difference in our world or our nation by simply sharing the gospel and making disciples? There aren't enough of us. We only need 12 Jesus sent 12 out to share the good news and make disciples. And the world was turned upside down. Here we sit today because 12 got serious about the message and the mission of the church. The third objection I hear is, that's not the way the world works. Sean, you're so naive. That's just not the way the world works. You see, if you, want to, if you want to bring down the abortion industry and you want to tear down and dismantle systems of racial injustice, that's not the way the world works, Sean. You've got to go after those things. I tell you what, we take the gospel to people and disciple them to live in love like Jesus. Lives will be transformed. Hearts will be changed. And the number of abortions in America will be reduced and the number of places of injustice and racial injustice will be brought down. You say, that's not the way the world works. No, but it's the way our God works. It's the way he told us to go about being the church. If you ask the question, then, okay, so what now then? Well, join your church family, join the Calvary family in being who Christ has called us to be. Let's stay focused on the gospel and the Great Commission. Silence the hype and turn up the volume of Jesus in your life. Stop going to those blogs. Get rid of those friends on social media. Stop liking this and liking that and turn off some of that and spend more time in the Word of God. Spend more time in prayer. Spend more time with your small group and with the body of Christ. Develop and demonstrate some self-control. Submitting yourself to the Spirit's control. Pay attention to what your tongue is doing, what your fingers are typing. In person or online. Find ways to meet the needs of the poor and powerless. Maintain your personal purity. Follow your Savior in how you live and love daily. I don't know if you know this, but I get excited about this because this is God's plan. And when the church is being the church... The gates of hell cannot prevail against it. None of the issues that our nation faces 
can stand against the church being the church. A couple of weeks ago, Tyler Hubbard of Florida Georgia Line, the group, the country group, wrote a song that then he and Tim McGraw have recorded. And they sang at one of the inaugural events the other day. It's a song titled Undivided. I love this line in the song. I'm tired of looking left or right, so I'm just looking up. James is saying to the sheep that are scattered, tune out the hype. If you want to be religious, you want to be zealous, don't listen to all the voices telling you how to do that. Share the good news of Jesus Christ and keep making disciples. Are you buying into the hype? Or are you following him? Will you pray with me? Father, you know that there have been times in my own heart and spirit, there have been good causes I'm passionate about and I can allow those causes to change the message and the mission of the church and you catch me, your spirit catches me and points me back to the gospel and to disciple making. And Lord, may we as a church be passionate about this. We want to see our nation change. We want to see our world change. We, we want to see a value on life and a value on treating people with the dignity and quality they deserve. But help us to understand that your way and your hope of transformed lives and changed hearts is what makes the real difference what really changes culture, a nation, and nations of this world. Help us to have self-control. Help us to have compassion for the poor and the powerless. Help us to maintain personal purity. Help us to follow our Savior. And then we know the results will be a transformed culture and world. Help Calvary, help our leaders, help all who are in our family to keep this as the focus, not for us, but ultimately for your glory and honor. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.